0: Creative Legals, the show that helps you understand the law around property investment. Whether you are a vanilla landlord or doing creative deals, because what you do not know could cost you. Creative Legals, law for creative deals. Joining us now, your host, Julie Condliffe, the legal diva, successful property investor and specialist property litigation solicitor.
1: Thank you so very much for joining me again today on the Creative Legals platform, where we love landlords. We want to make sure that landlords who do vanilla deals and landlords who do creative deals are protected. We want to help you save time and money. And we also want to help you stay out of trouble because we think that that's equally important. So guess what? Today we're going to be discussing a subject that's really, really close to my heart. As a lease options lawyer, I see all the common pitfalls that inexperienced people or sometimes even experienced people who don't actually understand the legal process get into. So I want to help you avoid those common pitfalls. I want to help make sure that you are protected. Obviously, your investment is protected. You want to be as safe as houses. You want it to be as safe as houses. So I'm going to help you with that. But also, I think it's imperative for you to know what you're actually getting yourself into. I'll be helping you understand how to agree terms even before you instruct a solicitor. I'm going to help you understand um, heads of terms, what they are, what should they contain to make sure that you have that competitive advantage when you get into these particular deals. And the other thing is that you want to make sure that your lease option is legally binding you want to make sure that it's drafted in a way that will protect you. That is actually as watertight as a submarine. You don't want to go down the Titanic route. So I'm going to help you with that. And then as part of this series, I will also help you ensure that your lease option deal is enforceable. Can you imagine... Investing thousands of pounds, renovating your lease option property, uh, refurbishing it, paying the monthly fee, which is normally a contribution towards uh, someone else's property uh, as a contribution towards the mortgage, by the way, for 10 years. So you've been paying the mortgage, you've been doing the works, you've forced the capital appreciation because you can do that in lease options. You don't have to wait for um, just the normal capital appreciation. You can force that yourself. So anyway, you've done all of that. And then you realise that the lease option that you signed, the documentation that you signed is unenforceable. Oh my goodness, what do you do? So, I'll be taking you through best practice to ensure that your investment is secure and enforceable because I think that's important. So, today we are actually going to focus on the first part, which is what are you getting yourself into? That's important. So, I say that a lot, don't I? I say that's important. Well, I suppose because it is. But, first things first, we are going to talk about my viewpoint on the subject matter. You know that we always discuss my viewpoint. And if you want to share your viewpoint, we welcome that too. Why do people call this particular creative deal strategy purchase lease options or lease options? Why, Why do they call them that? Particularly in residential matters. You don't actually get a lease. You don't actually give anybody a lease. In that case, why are they being called purchase lease options? That's the bit that I don't actually understand. I know that loads of trainers out there, they'll call them purchase lease options. Loads of different people, including myself. We call them purchase lease options, but why do we? These are residential matters. They're not commercial matters. In commercial matters, I understand that because we've got the option to purchase and then you've got the lease and then you've got whatever else you've got. But in residential matters, you've got the option to purchase. So there's no doubt about that. There is an option and there's an option to purchase the property at uh, agreed price or, you know, you've got a method of calculating the, the purchase price. I, again, I'll talk about that in, in a lot more detail. But for the purposes of this particular point, you've got an option to purchase And then you don't have a lease. What you have is you've got a management agreement. You've got a common law agreement. You've got a form of tenancy that gives you control of that property for a defined period of time. So it's a management agreement. It's a common law tenancy. Of course, it's not um, an assured, short hold tenancy under the 1988 Act. But it is a tenancy. It is not a lease. So why are we calling it a lease? Why are we calling it a purchase lease option? It isn't. It's an option to purchase a property. So someone gets an option to purchase a property, but they also get a right to control other property for whatever time you guys decide Um, the length of the lease, uh, the the length of the uh, tenancy will be. So, you know, five years, 10 years, however long. But that's what happens. There are no leases here. And one of the reasons why I'm really passionate about this is I find that people say many solicitors frown upon lease options. And I think I get it. One is because those solicitors perhaps are not experienced in this particular subject matter. Um, it's quite an experienced area. Um, it's, it's a niche area. So it's not every solicitor who's going to have a good understanding of them. Luckily, I do. So if you come to Creative Legals, we'll be able to help you because we do lease options we train people on lease options. So we have got, and we also, well, when I say we, I'm just speaking um, personally here. Like I said, this is just my opinion, my viewpoint. I personally give out lease options on my property portfolio. And I also take out lease options from other people. So I've got a clear understanding theoretically and practically when it comes to lease options. So the reason I think that most people um cannot actually find solicitors who are uh, amenable to doing these lease option deals is because we don't actually give them the correct name. So if you go to a solicitor who does I don't know family matters or uh, just normal conveyancing and if you say you want a purchase lease option, they're going to consider they're going to think that you want or there's a purchase involved, which is correct. they're going to. that there's a lease involved, which is wrong, and they're also going to think that there's an option, which is correct. So if you then go ahead and say, I want a purchase lease option, but there isn't any lease, that's going to be somewhat confusing, is it not? So I think it's a misunderstanding, um, perhaps on our part. So if we don't understand exactly what it is we're getting, how can we then instruct legal representatives um to give us or or to put together a document that's going to be legally sound to protect our interests? I think that's where one of the primary issues um arises. So just to call it what it is. I know that we've got this whole beautiful Shakespeare. Um, saying that a rose called by any other name would smell as sweet. That's amazing. That's so true. But I think when it comes to legal documentation, we need to be clear, we need to be precise, and we need to know exactly what it is we're talking about. So you'll be pleased to know that rant over. (laughs) We move on now to the facts. So we're going to start focusing on the facts, not on feelings. So the first thing to focus on perhaps or a good starting point would be for us to define what an option is. That's going to be helpful, I think. Do you agree? I think you do. Um, An option agreement is an agreement made between a property owner, a landowner, and a potential purchaser of the property. The option holder essentially has the opportunity of purchasing the property at an agreed price within a fixed time frame once the terms within the option have been met. I think it will be prudent here to distinguish between uh, an option and a preemption right. So under a preemption right or agreement, the buyer has the right to be first in line to buy the property to buy the land if the landowner or the property owner decides to sell it during the preemption period. So effectively, you've got the first right, the first option if the landowner decides to sell. So you almost like you jump the queue, you are first in line. But at the risk of repeating myself, is only if the property owner. Decides to sell. So that's an important difference. Now, with the options that we are discussing today, the key difference is you've got the right to buy, but not the obligation to purchase. So you're the one who calls the shots it's not the landlord who actually does, you do. Um, So you've got the right, but not the obligation to purchase uh, within a certain period of time, which is commonly referred to as the option period. Um, You do that for a fixed price. It doesn't have to be a fixed price. You can have a formula to calculate that. And again, I will discuss that with you shortly. So And the options can be assignable. It's not mandatory, but most people would prefer that they are assignable. there are two types of options. There are actually a lot more than two, but I'm going to focus on two. So you've got things like your reverse option, cross option, um, uh, but I'm going to focus on a call option and a put option. I think those are very, very close to what we would deal with um, in residential matters. So a call option is where a buyer has the right, as I've said, but not an obligation to buy the property from the seller. Okay, so you call the shots because you've got a call option. A put option is the inverse of a call option. So it's where the seller has a right, but again, not an obligation to sell the property. You see? So, out of the two, which one do you think you would need uh, on what we call a purchase lease option? I want to hear from you. I want to know your answers in the comments. Um, thank you very much. A lease option is part of a rent to own deal, a rent to own agreement, your common law agreement, your management agreement. It involves a tenant entering into a management agreement in addition to acquiring the option to purchase the property in future. So depending on the wording and if it is an instalment purchase, part of the monthly payments are or can be applied towards the principal purchase price. So that's really important to determine that when you are Agreeing the terms initially, it's important to know whether the money that you're paying every month does that uh, go towards the, the 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 fixed price if the price is fixed, but does that go towards the option price or? It doesn't. So it either does or it doesn't, but then there has to be uh, clarity there. That's why it's important to know the precise details of what has been agreed before you instruct your um, chosen solicitor, who I'm sure is going to be creative legals, um, because you like me and you know that I know um, this particular strategy more than most lawyers would do. So anyway. This leads me naturally to the heads of terms. What are you getting yourself into? What are you agreeing to do or not to do? That is going to be crucial. So you can formulate the terms of what you agree in a formal format, commonly referred to as heads of terms. Heads of terms are known by many different words, many different phrases. So sometimes they're referred to as a memoranda of understanding, heads of terms, letters of potential interest, or letters of intent. Again, it doesn't really matter what you call them, but in summary, heads of terms are a document that sets out the terms of the transaction, uh, the whatever it is You've agreed in principle, whatever it is that's been agreed in principle um, between the parties in the course of the negotiations. They evidence their intention to enter into a legally binding agreement on specified terms, but do not compel um, anybody to conclude a deal um, or, you know, to stick with those. Uh, terms. So I think it's it's better for me to repeat that. um, The the heads of terms do not compel the parties to conclude the deal on those terms or even at all. So just by entering into heads of terms, you're not going to be forced into going through or going ahead with the whole deal. I think here it's, it's, it'll be good for me to, um, talk you through a, 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 a case that I dealt with sometime last year, where the parties had agreed heads of terms, but for one reason or the other, they didn't actually manage to enter into a legally binding agreement, like into a written contract. So they carried on uh, with all the terms of the um, agreed terms as for the heads of terms. Um, but there wasn't any uh, consideration, which I'll talk about later on. Um, and they, they they didn't actually formulate um, the, the documentation formally. They didn't enter into um, whatever form that agreement ought to have taken. So when there was a dispute later on, as you know, these things do happen from time to time, it was problematic. But what the judge found in that case was that the heads of terms were sufficient to evidence the intention of the parties at the relevant time. So whilst they might not be legally binding, as it were, they will go some way in helping should disputes arise before you enter into Um, a legally binding agreement, or indeed in the absence of a legally binding agreement. In these options, heads of terms could include the duration of the term, how long is the option for, how long will it last, it'll include the scope of the demise the condition or conditions which must be met for the option right to be exercised, the amount of the deposit and payment terms, any extension to the duration of the option, if applicable, the final purchase price of the property uh, dispute resolution procedure would be good to have because these things tend to happen, details of each um, party, sorry, details of how each party can terminate and the agreement under certain conditions. It's like marriage, isn't it? You want it to last forever, but sometimes it just doesn't. So that's that. Let's start with duration. An option doesn't need to be granted for a fixed period, but what do you think? Would you Would you opt for uh, an option that doesn't have a defined duration or would you rather know when or how long an option lasts for? I think the answer will be different. I'd want to know your answer but I think the answer will be different dependent on whether you're a landlord or whether you are the tenant buyer um, because if you're a landlord, I I I don't think that you would want something that's indefinite. Um, but then again, if you're a tenant, would you would you want something that's indefinite? I don't know. Um, so let me know your thoughts in the comments. Uh, so a uh, lease option can potentially last forever. It actually can. However, I take the view that um, it should be time limited, as it's unlikely that a property owner would want to uh, sterilise their investment uh, or their ability to asset manage or sell the property for a, for a period that's longer than you know reflects the benefit received from entering into the option agreement. Either party would not want to be bound indefinitely, I wouldn't have thought. Um, But I think what's important to note here is that options granted prior to the 6th of April 2010, that's before the um, Perpetuities and Accumulations Act 2019 came into force, those ones, the ones prior to the 6th of April 2010 are void if they're not exercised within 21 years. So that's an important um, timeline to note. Um, So during what period can the option be exercised? Is it exercisable immediately or only after a specified future date? what is the latest that an option can be exercised? Um, Just to backtrack a little bit, I find that most options are, you know, five years, 10 years. And I think that buyers want 10 years because in Great Britain or, you know, in the United Kingdom, there has been um, a common belief that the property market, you know, doubles every 10 years. Whether that is still a fact, I do not know. But there's just been that uh, common notion that property values do go up. but that in itself um, shouldn't be a deciding factor. There are quite a lot of uh, other important factors to take into account. Um, because as I mentioned, I think um, in in passing, it, it shouldn't just be the natural capital appreciation. In some instances, it is. But I think you also want to be able to get a deal. And this is not legal advice. None of the advice we give you is legal advice, investment advice or tax advice. I must say that. Um, so you may want to get a a deal where you've got the potential of forcing the capital appreciation by carrying out improvement works, by carrying out um, renovation works, by carrying out refurbishment works. Um, So that could actually be that. That's just a side uh, note. So you also want to think, um, is there both a call option and a put option? Do these operate at the same time or sequentially? I think I've explained to you what a call um, and what a put option um, is. Can the option be extended? Um, if so, in what circumstances? Um, sometimes you get a property and you need planning permission because that's what's going to force the capital appreciation. So what if you don't get the planning permission within the period which you're expecting to get it? If that is the position does your option contain provisions to enable you um, to extend that option? And if that's the case, what will be the long stop date? You don't want it to be indefinite. If you're a landlord, if you're a tenant, of course, um, your interests will be slightly different. So I think that's why it's also important in terms of lease options for both parties to have separate legal representation, because when acting for a landlord, you're obviously thinking about what's best for the landlord. If you're acting for the tenant, you're thinking what's best for, you know, the tenant buyer. Um, So I think that it, it would really be Um, useful for you to instruct different solicitors. I know that, you know, sometimes people just go right ahead, A, without legal representation, or B, you know, one party will have representation and the other one will not have representation. I think that would put you on, you know, the back foot if you don't have legal representation. So, I would suggest that you do. Um, And on to the next point, the agreement um, should specify an option period, which obviously is the period of time during which uh, the party with the option in its favour may exercise the option. The agreement will also set out the procedure um, by which uh, the parties must follow in order to exercise the option when and if the option is exercised, a binding contract for sale and purchase is deemed to have been entered into. Um, so, that's that. If the option is not exercised and if there's no right to extend it, then the option lapses. Now, moving on to the scope of the demise, um, You just want to be clear on exactly what it is you're getting. It's easier, I think, for freehold properties where... Uh, you know that you're getting everything. You're getting the property, you're getting the land on which it is. But regardless of of things that seem obvious sometimes, it's always good to spell it out. Get a plan, you know, edge it red and say this is the land that will um, form part of the future conveyance. This is the land, um, you know, that you are purporting to purchase. This is the land that you've got an option over. I've had a scenario where um, it was a leasehold interest. um, And the demise, as stated on the documentation, did not actually include the loft space. So later on, the landlord said he wanted to create an apartment um, in the loft. Um, The loft space was not demised to the tenant buyer. So again, that's unnecessary litigation because the landlord could potentially succeed in doing that, um, dependent on quite a lot of other factors. But that serves as an example to ensure that we are properly drafting the documents. We know that the scope of the demise is exactly what we need it to be or what has been agreed. And this is also the case in terms of... um, land, like your developers, when they have an option over a piece of land, you want to be really, really clear, you know, how far or, you know, how much of the land are we getting. So that's obviously different considerations, because that's more um, on the commercial side, but even residential side, I would just say be crystal clear as to the scope of the demise. Most of these things don't seem like they would ever happen. They just seem really, really far-fetched. But because I've been doing litigation for years, I deal with matters when things go wrong. So I see these things day in and day out. And like I always say, it's better to learn from other people's mistakes, not from your own. So that's one of the reasons why I'm really passionate about bringing all this information to you to help you avoid these costly uh, common pitfalls, these costly legal battles, just to get you to stay out of trouble. If you want to stay out of trouble, there are people who like trouble. So anyway, back um the option fee wow this is a really interesting one it's how much is being paid by a buyer and when a fee will almost certainly be payable um So that's that's that. There's quite a lot to say on this. Um, uh, We know that these are no money down deals. You know, you pay one pound, which is great. And I I tend to find that I think most of the money goes to the um, deal sources. um, And I have got nothing against deal sources. I love them. Um, And if you're a deal sourcer who specializes in lease options, I would absolutely love to interview you um, on my podcast. So, you know, we... Um, get a good understanding of what you do and how we can help you. Anyway, um, we were talking about option fees. So an option fee uh, will certainly be be, be payable, okay, there's no doubt about that, because for a contract to be legally binding, there are four main prerequisites. These are offer, an offer has to be made, Uh, an offer can be made by the landlord um, to you to say, hey, you can take my property or you can make an offer to the landlord uh, and then the landlord accepts it, there has to be consideration and an intention to create legal relations. So just to put a point, those four um, points that are needed. uh, So the four main prerequisites are an offer, acceptance, consideration and intention to create legal relations. So, I've already discussed offer and acceptance. You offer or the landlord offers. Um, the landlord accepts or you accept. So, that's, um, that's sorted. That's settled. We move on now to consideration. Um, and before we actually move on to consideration, let's just talk about an intention to create legal relations. Of course, you do. You want to enter into a legally binding agreement. So, again, there's no doubt about that. And I'm confident that. The landlord would also um, want the same. The landlord would want to enter into a legally binding agreement. So there's no doubt about that. So that's that. But what really matters here is consideration. Consideration is the important part. So consideration is important because this is why we say it's a no money down deal. Yeah. That's why people say, I got a property for one pound. But if, or I got a no money down deal. So if it's a no money down deal, why not just pay nothing? Why not just pay no money if we're saying that it's a no money down deal? Um, So I think that's where consideration uh, comes into play. A person wishing to enforce an agreement in English law must show that they've brought something of value to the bargaining table. So if you want to bring an enforceable agreement, um, you have to show that you've brought something of value to the negotiating table, to the bargaining table. The value has to be value in the eyes of the law. So is the price that is paid for the promise. It doesn't need to be adequate but it must be sufficient. The law says consideration need not be adequate, but it must be sufficient. That means that it must have some legal worth. It doesn't directly speak to economic value. Uh, that's because the court is more concerned about enforcing people's bargains rather than regulating the fairness of the bargains, you know, whether it's fair or unfair. Um, that's that's a different um, point. Um, but this means that the court is not actually going to consider whether this is a full market value or whether it's the right amount that has been paid. Um, they're, they're not really here determining whether they're, they're, there's been a fair bargain. They're just determining whether something has passed whether some 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 consideration ha- ha has passed and whether that is Uh, sufficient. And as I said, sufficient is not from, you know, an economic um, value, as it were. So that's why uh, you can actually get a deal for one penny. That's why you can get uh, a a property deal for one pound. One pound is just the consideration that has to pass. It will be sufficient. One penny will be sufficient um, for consideration as far as I'm concerned. So, one pitfall here is because it's a pound, sometimes people don't actually pay that pound. Now, if you don't pay that pound, there's a real risk here that you might not be able to enforce your agreement later on. So I would just encourage you to have evidence that you've actually paid that pound because you could get later on. uh in the whole process after you've invested a lot of money and then you find that you can't actually enforce a deal because one of those four key ingredients um, actually wasn't met. It wasn't satisfied. Is it really worth it? It's just one pound. So I would say get it done. And the other point here is that consideration cannot be passed. So it's not something that you've done in the past to say, oh, well, look, I've given her, you know, I bought her a Louis Vuitton bag um, a little while ago that's not going to wash. Or that I gave him, you know, I don't know, £100 prior, six months ago. Or that I bought him a pint of beer at the pub. None of that is actually going to work. So one penny is better than any of that drama. One pound is better than any of that. But it must pass. Consideration must pass. So you must give that one pound. Um, That is very, very important. Um, The next... (laughs) Uh, The next point is the option price. You need to determine whether the option price is uh, fixed uh, or not. I would always encourage you to have a fixed price if you are a tenant. Um, Even for landlords, I think that's really, really important um, because the market forces go up and go down and nobody's actually going to know unless, of course, you've got a a way of calculating it. So if the option price is exercised, how is the price going to be calculated? Um, Is it a fixed price or are there any variables? Uh, Is the, the, the price subject to indexation? Is the final purchase price based on uh, the market value of the property? And is it based on the market value of the property at the date of the purchase? Um, and if so, how is that market value going to be established? Will the parties first try to agree between themselves? Um, is there a mechanism um, for them to escalate the matter in the absence of agreement? Who will carry out an evaluation? And will this be linked to any? standards like, you know, the red book? Will there be a cap, like a maximum price or a a collar price, minimum price set? Should the amount the buyer pay be deducted from the fee, the option fee that they paid before? All those are things that you really need to note in your heads of terms because it will make the agreement a lot more watertight. If the option period is of sufficient length that the uh, value of the property may change. Both parties may want to possibly consider um, including uh, RPI indexes, stepped indexes, open market valuations at the point of sale. On the other hand, if the property market drops, would the buyer be entitled to a reduction? I know that the buyer doesn't, well, if it's a call option, I know that the buyer doesn't have the obligation to buy. But what if the buyer still wants to buy the property because, you know, they've done a lot of work already. So if the market drops, would the buyer be entitled to a price reduction? that's again something that you may want to think about when you are carrying out your negotiations. In circumstances where, as I said before, you want to force the capital appreciation and need planning permission to carry out the works, does the price include or exclude the benefits of any actual or assumed planning permission? And who's going to be responsible for The costs of completing the documentation. Um, Sellers can say that the buyers um, should uh, pay their costs. That's a possibility, and I see that in a lot of documentation. But again, that ought to be um, taken into account in your uh, negotiations, in your talks, um, heads of terms wise. That is equally important. We now move on to triggers, preconditions, and special conditions. I need you here to carefully consider what is the appropriate trigger for a preemption process. The exercise of the option may be conditional on something else having happened. For example, it's common to make a call option subject to the buyer having first obtained planning permission. So that could be the trigger. Once you've got planning permission, then Oops, you can actually kickstart the process. Do any conditions need to have been met before the option may be exercised? The parties should consider whether there are any circumstances in which their agreement should terminate early. Um, That's important, maybe in the event of death or maybe there will be an automatic trigger for termination in insolvency matters um if one party becomes insolvent? Um is it possible for one party to serve notice on the other early to terminate it? If so, you need to consider what grounds that would be on. Uh, what would happen to all the sums that have already been paid? Are those refundable? You know, do, do, do those funds just fall away? Um, so all of these things really need to be considered um, before you enter into this legally binding agreement. So unless the agreement uh, specifies otherwise, uh, normally lease options are freely assignable. If the parties would prefer that the agreement is personal only to the parties entering into the agreement, then this needs to be specifically um, specified. It needs to be expressly stated in the agreement. Um, if either party uh, is assigned is allowed to assign the benefit of the agreement, again that needs to be noticed. So, is the seller allowed to assign it? Is the buyer allowed to assign it? Are there any mortgages over the property? If so, has consent been obtained? Or uh, less likely will the mortgagee be party to the agreement? That really is unlikely. Um, But again, it's it's a matter for you to to consider because where the property is subject to a mortgage, if the mortgagee is not aware of the option agreement, there's a real risk that the buyer could lose the benefit of the option um, as a sale by the mortgagee um, in possession will overreach the option. Um, this just basically means that the option would fall away, um, so it's it's important to make sure that uh, your interest is noted um, correctly. On the land registry, but also um, that you, if 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 possible, you get confirmation that um, the the the, the mortgagee, the lender, is is happy um, for you to do that. A notice uh, of the option agreement uh, will be put on the um, uh, title, stating that the buyer has the right over the land. In the event, yeah, that that's 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 yeah, I would say in 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 every case. Um, go right ahead and, and do that. And I think there, there will be a discussion um, that I must have in relation to the different notices that can be entered on um, the register and exactly what each particular notice means, but I don't think it's the subject for today's discussion. We're just focusing on what you're getting yourself into. We're talking about the heads of terms and what you want to ensure is included. So extending the option period, will the buyer have the right to extend the option period, for example, um, serving a notice before expiry of the initial period um, and is a fee payable for this. So let's just say you've agreed a 10 year tenure and then at year nine, uh, your buyer decides that they actually want to extend Um, the lease option for a further five years, for a further three years. Um, Have you taken that into account? Will you agree? Um, Obviously, you might not know now, um, but there could be a provision in there to say, yep, um, subject to A, B, C, D and E. um, But I think A should be whether or not a fee is payable for this um, and do any other terms of the option or eventual sale need to be amended if an extension is allowed. So those are some of the things that you need to think about. And then when it comes to actually exercising the option, it's important that there's a clear mechanism in place so there's no dispute as to whether the option was correctly exercised or not. So what's the process for exercising the option? Is there a prescribed form of notice? Um, If there is, I would suggest that it's actually contained in the contractual documentation just for the avoidance of doubt. Um, How much notice is required um, to be given? Um And a service of the notice. Do you have specific provisions as to service of the notice by post, by email? Is that acceptable? Um, is a deposit payable um, when the buyer wants to um, exercise the notice? sorry exercise the option and that's when the notice is given. Um, I've covered all the um, very very important points in terms of your um, heads of terms what exactly are you getting yourself into. Um, You need to be uh, really really clear on that so we've just discussed the key points that you need to think about uh, which include the duration of the option, the scope of the demise, the precondition conditions that that must be met for the option right to be executed. Uh, We discussed the deposit, we discussed extension um, to the original duration, we discussed the option price. And that is also important to have a disputes resolution procedure. So thank you so very much for joining me. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to serve you. I would want to continue to interact with you a lot more. And hopefully in the next few weeks, we're going to get loads of volunteers to join me on the podcast. I'd really, really appreciate that. Because whilst I do love the sound of my own voice, I would love to hear um, from other people um, in the creative deal space. I'd love to hear from deal sources. I'd love to hear from people who are doing these options. I would love to hear from rent to rent people, from people who are doing serviced accommodation. Yeah, it's important actually for me to, to, to say right now that these lease options, they work um, if you're interested in in HMOs, rent to rent, serviced accommodation or flipping properties. They also work if um, you want to generate quite a lot of money from properties that you don't necessarily uh, own, as it were. Um, They also help people who perhaps can't get a mortgage straight away uh, for whatever reason. So, Uh, lease options can actually work but I think the key thing for us to remember here is that for them to work we have to make sure that they're watertight so please remember I said they need to be as watertight as a submarine Um, otherwise you'll definitely go down the titanic route and I don't think that that's what you want to do because what you do not know could cost you so get a solicitor who's experienced in these matters Um, get in touch with me if you need me to help you um, in drawing drafting the lease option documentation or to act in an advisory capacity. I'll be more than delighted to do that. So until next time.
0: Thank you for joining us on Creative Legals. Remember, what you do not know could cost you. Stay up to date. Subscribe to our weekly updates using the links below. Remember, what you do not know could cost you creativelegals.com faster smarter better